Due to the coronavirus, we have not been meeting together as a church, and so we are recording the next several series of messages as Bible study devotionals for at-home use. If you would like to see videotape recordings of these or to receive uh, our at-home worship guide, please go to graceclanton.com, and if you click on Coronavirus Updates, you should find all the information that you need. Thank you. All right, guys. So this is our first uh, of these at-home Bible reading sessions. Again, I have no idea how exactly this is going to work or go, and we may tweak it as we go, but... The first thing I want to do, of course, is pray, and then we're going to read through uh, this passage together. And as we read through, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to look for big ideas, things that jump out at you off the page, uh, questions that you may have. And then, what does this passage tell you to change or to do? What is it, how does it apply to your deep desires, your thoughts, and your actions? So that's kind of what we'll be doing, and we'll see how it goes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true and good, that you are true and good, even in the midst of virus outbreaks. Uh, God, would you be with your people? Lord, would you use this, uh, use this time to uh, grow us, uh, to bring those uh, of us who don't know you, to bring us to know you? And would you be glorified? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be reading today from Luke 22, verses 39 through 53. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, No more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. So if you're joining us, uh, maybe for the first time, if you're just now starting to watch or listen in to Grace Fellowship, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke so that we come to know Jesus, so that we see what Jesus was like, so that we learn what it means to love and to follow Jesus. 
Uh, and as you can tell, we're ear, uh, nearing the end of Jesus' life. Uh, this is actually the moment that, uh, that Jesus is arrested and that the darkness gathers. And one of the first things that I notice uh, about what's happening is that as Jesus, uh, even as the darkness closes in, and this, this passage is heavy with darkness. It's nighttime. There's certainly a tone that Luke is trying to set up. Um, the disciples are exhausted with grief, so exhausted that they fall asleep. Jesus himself is in agony. Uh, he's praying so intensely that he's, he's sweating. And Luke describes that his, his sweat is almost like um, great drops of blood falling to the ground. And so there's definitely a dark tone to this. You have soldiers with clubs and swords coming to arrest Jesus. And, and Jesus even pointing out, I was with you every day in the temple, and you chose not to arrest me then. Um, but you're actually, this is, this hour is your hour. This is the power of darkness. And so there is, there's definitely a sinister element going on in the background. Not really even in the background, but, but in the foreground. Uh, evil things are afoot here in this Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, Jesus is still at the center of it, and Jesus is still this shining light. Even as he's arrested, Jesus is in complete control. So let's look at a, a few things uh, as we go through. One of the first things that I notice as I read through is this stark contrast between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and particularly, and, and this has been true the whole time through Luke, but uh, the disciples are so frail uh, and, and so clueless. Uh, and if we're meant to identify with anyone in this passage, it's the disciples. Uh, and this even has application to our current times, right? Jesus is no stranger to, um, to stress. Jesus is no stranger to fear. Jesus is no stranger to, um, to what's going on in the world around him. Uh, and we see the disciples are reacting a lot like we usually react when we're stressed, when we're afraid, when we're angry. Right, Jesus, uh, so they, so they leave Jerusalem, they head up the Mount of Olives on the opposite side of the city, they go to this garden, this apparently was Jesus' normal behavior, this is what he did in the evenings, and, uh, Jesus tells his disciples to pray. He says, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Now, a good question to ask at this point is, what does that mean? What, what is the temptation that they would fall into? Well, just maybe an hour or so before, maybe not even an hour, Jesus had warned his disciples that they were going to fall away, uh, that, they, that, that Jesus was going to be struck, uh, that he, the shepherd, was going to be struck, and they were going to scatter like sheep. And they were pretty adamant that that wasn't going to happen. And so Jesus uh, tells them, pray so that you don't fall, so that you don't give in to temptation. And what we see happening instead is that instead of being able to pray, they're so exhausted, they're so overwhelmed that they just fall asleep. Contrast that with Jesus who walks just a, a, a few yards away, a stone's throw away, uh, and he begins praying. And he begins praying intensely. Um, his, his body is shaking, and we're going we're gonna to come back to Jesus' prayer in, in just a minute and, and what that means for us. Uh, the other thing that um, I find interesting in this contrast between Jesus and his disciples is that when Jesus is threatened and when they are threatened, 
they respond much like we would respond. They respond defensively. They respond by striking out. Uh, and we do the same thing. That when we are threatened, or when we, when we perceive that something is coming against us, uh, we just act out. We lash out. And, and you can relate to this. There's been times when you, you just, you were so overcome with emotion, then rather than do the wise thing, your emotions just kind of take over and you lashed out in anger and you did something destructive. And that's exactly what the disciples do, right? They go, they see this, uh, this police band coming to get Jesus and they go for their swords. And one of them, and John tells us that it's Peter, one of them actually strikes off, uh, he, he cuts off the ear of one of the, of one of the guards, one of the servants. Um, and it's so remarkable. Jesus' response, even as he's arrested, Jesus is, Jesus is in complete control. Jesus' response to those who would harm him is to heal them. Uh, he acts in compassion even towards those who don't have his best interest at heart. And so that contrast between Jesus and his disciples, it, it's, uh, it's like, what Jesus told his disciples back in Luke 6, in Luke 6, 27 and 28, he said, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Who does that? What, what kind of kingdom is this? What kind of person is this? That, that reaction, that response is totally upside down from the way that we usually respond uh, when our fears and anger get the best of us. And it is interesting, even by way of application, for those of you who, uh, who would identify as a Christian, that, that Jesus' first calling to his disciples in this moment of darkness uh, and grief and anger, his first thing that he tells them to do is to pray. Um, our chief duty in times of darkness and grief and worry is to pray, to seek God's face, to talk to Him. Uh, it's not to secure ourselves. It's not to, to make sure we've got all our bases covered, but to go to God and seek His face in prayer. Uh, Peter later writes in his, uh, in his first letter, 1 Peter 4, he says, Cast all your cares upon Him. And notice why we can do that. He says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So we can cast our cares upon God because God cares for us. And so maybe that would be a good question to ask yourselves. Do you believe that you have a God in heaven who cares for you? And Jesus says in Matthew 6 that we don't have to worry like other people worry, because our Father in heaven knows what we need. Do you have a Father in heaven who knows what you need and cares for you and loves you? That's, that's what we see Jesus relying on. When Jesus just walks a few, uh, a few yards away to pray, he is entrusting himself to his Father. Now let's, let's go back and let's look at that prayer for just a minute, because I think it's pretty remarkable. Um, we get a glimpse of Jesus' inner life. And we don't want to overly psychologize this, but 
But it's interesting that when Jesus prays, um, that he he's expressing his emotions to God. In fact, this is this is really the first time that we see Jesus deeply, deeply emotional. Uh, in in every other instance up till this point, Jesus has been the one in control. Jesus has been um, unflappable uh, would be the word to use. Uh, but here. As Jesus goes before his Father, um, he is he is agonizing, is what Luke says. He is in agony. Um, why? What what is it? Uh, what is it that's causing Jesus such deep personal pain? Well, look, look at what he says um, in verse forty-two. His his prayer. He says, "Father, if you are willing." Remove this cup from me. This cup. Jesus, what, what has Jesus so upset is this cup. What does that mean? Jesus is using an Old Testament uh, image, uh, one that we find in Isaiah 51, 17, uh, and Jeremiah 25, 15 through 17. Uh, and in other places as well, the cup of God's wrath. Uh, in the Old Testament, God spoke of pouring out this wrath on the nations, those who would rebel against them. Now, maybe maybe right there, you're, you're just like, okay, you know what? I I I believe I want a, a God of love. I don't I don't want a I don't want a God of wrath. Uh, the God of wrath doesn't really fit into into my worldview, I want a God who's, who's only love. And so what I, what I hope you can see actually though is that God's anger, and that's what wrath means, wrath is simply anger at injustice, right? When we talk about God's wrath, we're not talking about God losing his temper and flying off the handle. We're talking about God's anger at what is wrong, God's anger at uh, injustice, God's right response to our rebellion, um, and so in that in that way, I want you to see that God's anger is actually a function of His love. Um, in fact, can you have love without anger? Think about your family. Uh, think about if you're married. Think. Think about your spouse. But if someone comes against uh, one that you love, or if someone that you love is doing something destructive or harmful to themselves, uh, we rightly respond with anger. right? Because we are moving in protection uh, towards those that we love. And so God's response to the to the the injustice and wrong and sin in the world, his just response is wrath. So that's, that's what, when, when we talk about the cup, that's the cup that we're talking about. Uh, God's righteous anger poured out against those uh, who are in rebellion against God. But here's what's remarkable about Jesus' prayer. He says, Father, if possible, remove this cup from me. Jesus is the one 
who is about to drink God's wrath to the full. Jesus is the one who is about to absorb God's anger. Jonathan Edwards, a a great preacher from our past, uh, says it this way. He says that what, what Jesus is seeing in the garden is he's getting a glimpse into the great furnace of God's wrath. And he sees that this is, this is the furnace that he is about to be, that he is about to throw himself into. And now, now that he sees it, he asks his father if there's another way. That's not sinful. Jesus never sinned. Jesus, and it's interesting, if you go back and, and look at all of the great heroes, if you go back in history, even from Jesus' day, and you look at these different hero stories, uh, even if you look at our own, our, our, our own Christian history, you see that when, when people die for what they believe, that they typically go heroically, that they're... Um, that their very uh, their emotional state is under control. They go as those who are firm in what they believe, but not Jesus. Uh, Jesus is about to undergo a trial, and he is he is shaken to the core. Uh, and in doing that, Jesus, Jesus isn't sinning. Jesus knows what he's about to endure, and it's not he's. It's not the physical suffering that he's worried about. It's not the, the crucifixion necessarily that he's worried about. What he is worried about, what has him sweating profusely, is the cup, God's wrath. Uh, as Edward says, he's, he's seeing the furnace that he's about to be, uh, that he's about to throw himself into. Um, and he's asking his father, can we do this another way? And so, this is important for us. Jesus isn't squishing his desires down. He's not, he's not quelling his emotions and saying emotions aren't important. But, but nor is he saying, nor is he allowing his emotions to control him. Instead, what he does is he, his great desire is that he not be separated from his father. Jesus had never known separation from his father. And on the cross, he would be separated. And it scares him. And so he says, Father, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other road we can walk down to secure salvation, let's do that. That's Jesus' desire. That's, his, that's, that's what he wants at the moment. But notice how Jesus gets through it. He doesn't squish his desire down. Instead, he submits his desire to his Father. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus submits his desire to a greater desire. And he does that because he loves his Father and because he loves you and me. Jesus willingly drinks the cup of wrath so that you and I would not have to. I hope that's an encouragement to you. And I hope it encourages you to believe in Jesus even as we enter into our own dark times. We have a Savior who is who has known darkness and who has felt darkness. And yet because of his love, the love he has for his Father and the love that he has for you and me, he embraced it. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, Lord, we thank you that um, 
that you show us what it means to be in agony and prayer, that you are not an emotionless, passive Savior, but rather uh, you, you took your desires to the throne of heaven and you pursued your Father's will. Um, your will was to do the will of your Father in heaven. And because you did that, when we, can, we get to come in. We can know life and light because you embraced the darkness yourself. Help us to trust in you and to see your good hand even in the darkness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.